This is the BBC Home Service for mothers and children at home. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Hello, Maniacs. It's Midsummer Maniacs. Midsummer Maniacs is a recap podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. If your kids can handle the show, they can handle the podcast. It's a pretty tame show here. Yeah. Though, like a billion people die. Yeah, but there's no, like... Blood spurting everywhere or anything no, like that. No, there's no sexy sex No or nakedness anything. or anything. Yeah. What we're looking at is episode five of season nine, Four Funerals and a Wedding. Hey, isn't that funny oh, as a title? Hmm, that's clever. I think it's a reference to something else, maybe a movie called Four Weddings and a Funeral. I don't like the name. This The episode should be named The Skimmingtons or John Knox is a Jerk or... <laughs> Something else. Ride a donkey backwards. I think they totally just threw the name on to have fun with it. Yeah, that's all right. Because there's no references in the show to the movie. No, but there is references to Groundhog Day. There is, which I didn't understand why they were referencing Groundhog Day. (laughs) All right, before we get ahead of ourselves, though, we got some stuff up at the top. Uh, First of all, thank you. Thank you all so much. We wanted to to definitely say thank you to everybody. Uh, we're still stunned about people listening to this podcast. And uh, just a couple of examples. Not that we don't think that they should. Obviously, everybody should listen. Well, yeah. Even people who don't watch Midsummer should should listen and start watching. Your friends should the, Like, share this podcast with your friends. Yeah. And your family. Yeah. And, hey, we know at least one listener did that. We do. We do. We'll get to that in a second. So, uh, first of all, I want to thank Selena on uh, the YouTubes, uh, because she has commented on just about every one of our videos. Yeah. And and helped us out quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes correcting us, but justifiably so. (laughs) Uh, And... I wanted to especially shout out to her because I wasn't getting notifications that we had YouTube comments. So I looked at the YouTube comments. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, it's great. Uh, and we also passed 100 subscribers on YouTube. Hey. Now, we didn't get a plaque or anything like those fancy YouTubers, the kids the kids today listen to. Or no, anything. we post our episodes to YouTube just because we know that's another way that people can listen. So, Well, yeah, it's an easier way to listen than downloading Stitcher or, yeah. or Spotify or something. It's just If you're easy. not a podcast listener yeah. in general, it's an easy way to consume Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, thanks, Selena. Thank you very, very much, Selena. And then we got an email. Oh, boy, did we get an email. From Tasmania. Tasmania. Which, which may be the farthest away from us it's possible to be and not be at the South Pole. or It's 9,704 miles away from Bloomington, Indiana. Yes. Geraldine. Geraldine Sent wrote us. Sent us an awesome email. Yes. Thank you, Geraldine. Uh, she says, 
that she's a maniac and, if I've done the right thing, has raised my daughter to be one too. But Geraldine has a problem. She's running out of episodes. <laughs> and has made the helpful suggestion that we record daily instead of weekly. We'd run out of midsummer if we did that. We we would be out of midsummer in less than a year. Yeah. So we're on episode course, forty-eight right now. I have a feeling Geraldine would be like, Well, there's Poirot and <laughs> all sorts of other shows. Anyway, we appreciate the email from Geraldine oh, in Tasmania. It was, it's so fun to it hear. It was fantastic. But now I know uh, I'm going to give a, a secret away on behalf of Geraldine that she listens in bed, which I assume is at night. So now I'm just imagining some of our jokes at night, like when you're trying to fall asleep. Geraldine, it's time to fall asleep. Sleep, Geraldine. <laughs> Midsummer in the news this week. Yes, Midsummer in the news. It's not Midsummer murders. It's a bovine death. That's the headline. Yep. Counselors uh, discover a mystery of the seesaw bones. So essentially, in Andover, this guy was digging to put in a new seesaw at the park, and he found bones. Cow bones. Which, okay, take some time and Google cow skeleton. <laughs> And notice how none of the bones in a cow skeleton look anything like a human bone. Yeah, nothing like it. No. But, you know, any excitement <laughs> sometimes is good excitement. They it's a mystery. They dug up a body. Mystery of the seesaw. Yeah, it's not Midsummer Murders. It's a bovine death. Bum, bum, bum. Who killed the cow? I don't know. That's still a mystery. Mm, tasty. Four funerals and a wedding was filmed in October and November 2005, broadcast the 24th of September 2006. 7.29 uh, million viewers and directed and written by women. First time ever for Midsummer, Sarah Hellings and Elizabeth Ann Wheel. And I, I, I want to make a note that I, I always try to point out when we have female directors and female writers because it is woefully neglectful in the entertainment industry. Women are underrepresented yeah. for sure. Like the the most stunning stat that I always bring up in regards to this is there have been more women in space than won the Oscar for best directing. Wow. Which is insane. Yeah, that's crazy. So, so And but it's fitting for this episode in particular. Well, we got a little bit of a battle of the sexes here. Yeah, whether it, it's a big red herring, but yeah. yeah. This episode is one of those that is particularly confusing about who is related to whom and why and how they all know each other. And um, there's there's at least like there's at least like two historical periods that are important to what the current events are and in all of that it gets you easily muddled up. In the first 90 seconds of the episode, I had taken two pages of notes. Because you're weird. Well, no, there was a whole <laughs> bunch of writing. I had to write it all down. So it just the quick summary, right, is that there are two families, the Marwoods and the Ainscombs. They, they both have been in this village for a long, long time. And way back in World War One, a Marwood led a troop of men from the village as no, a... it was an Anscombe. An Anscombe led a group of villagers um, as a pals battalion, like a group of men who joined up together. 
and they all died. And as a result of that, the women had of the village had to band together, and they formed the Skimmingtons, this group that still exists to the, this day, and it's kind of like a local WI sort of. And they're having this uh, event, this fate, where they do this annual ride that's a tradition where they embarrass a man. Yep. And that's that's kind of the whole idea what is we that need to know. there were no men, so they banded together and they started to hate men, which makes no sense at all. It doesn't, and we're going to talk about that. And so the Anscombs, according to the statuary that died in the First World War, include John, George, William, Peter, Frank, Ernest, John, C, and Gregory. So wiped out a huge part of the village. Yeah. And then there was a fire in the 1960s that basically wiped out the Marwoods because their country estate burned to the ground and very few people survived, including, oh, Fiona. No, I'm sorry. Lorna. I get their names mixed up. Lorna. Lorna. And she re- and she was the nursemaid, and so she rescued a baby, Henry Marwood, who yes. was the baby of the family. Yes. So the fire was the fifteenth of August, nineteen sixty. So we've got two powerful yet devastated families. Yes. As well as a gender war going on. It's just a lot going yeah, on. But that's the that's the setup. Yeah. Right. So we start with the first funeral. Funeral number one. Yes, and this is Vivian Marwood's funeral. Vivian, who is the wife of Henry Marwood, who's hey, actually- wait a minute, that guy looks familiar. <laughs> and how does he have a head? Yeah, he's been beheaded in a previous episode. Maybe that was his twin brother or cousin, twin cousins. Yeah, <laughs> now they were sisters. Yeah, <laughs> didn't say they were twins, but they were sisters. And. So Vivian dies prior to the beginning of the episode. She's been sick for a long time. We find out later that Henry was considering helping her die because she had asked him to. Um, so he's got all this guilt, even though he wound up not actually helping her. She she did it herself. But He fell asleep. Yeah, but he's all angsty with his he sadness. He is. Um, and, and his wife's been ill for a long time. Right? Yeah, but he's got a new girlfriend. But because of this funeral, Mildred, who is the first victim... And the instigator of everything. If Mildred had not come to the funeral, nothing in the episode would have happened. Why does Mildred come to the funeral? Because she was friends with Henry's mom? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. 50 years ago. Well, uh, okay. So here we go. This is confusing, right? So Mildred is the cousin of Gant, who is the vicar. But she hasn't been to uh, Broughton, which is where this episode takes place, right. for and, 50 years. She says that. Gant is the half-brother of Henry Marwood. Supposedly. But it, illegitimate. Yes. So she could be coming to support him. I really think she came to make trouble because she's got the dirt on Gant, who is the creepy vicar. That's why I think she comes. The, the she funeral the, is an excuse. Yeah. It's an excuse for two things. One, for her to come make trouble for Antony, who kind of deserves it. And two, for her to wear her awesome Jamiroquai hat. Okay, so <laughs> why is she Jamiroquai? <laughs> <laughs> 
And if you've never heard of him, we'll just post a picture side by side of this um, singer named Jamiroquai. Who's he's like, a funk singer in the late 90s. Yeah, his best known video, he's wearing this fabulous hat and it yes. is identical to Mildred's fabulous hat. <laughs> you cannot look at it and not think Jamiroquai. Yeah. But she's coming to the village to make trouble for Antony. Yes. Because she's got a letter from the archdeacon, his boss. But what she realizes when she gets there is she knows a bigger secret. Yes. Because she sees Henry for the first time. And she realizes that Henry... Is not a Marwood. Is not a Marwood. He's a teakwood. No. He's a brain tree. He's a brain tree. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so, it's so much. It's so much. So right away, we're introduced also to Kath, who is the deacon of the church that Anthony is the reverend for. Right. He's the vicar. She's the deacon. So she, she's his second in command, right? Yeah. Kathy? Well, so deacon is the lowest level of actual church clergy you okay. can be, right? So in some places, she can't even give the Eucharist. She can't give the, the wine and the bread. Okay. Um, she's more or less a uh, kind of, she's not lay person, but she's pretty close to it. But she could be promoted to be a vicar, But right? she throws herself full-time into this deacon role. Yeah. And in busy churches, they have a reverend and a deacon, a rector and a deacon. She's not the rev. She's not like the rev Suze. No, the rev Suze is the rev. Who, you know, if you remember her, she jogs around wearing her T-shirts. That oh, say she's her, coming. Country something matters. Something about the rev, yeah. Um, but she's, she's a woman, Yep. And the archdeacon knows that Antony has an issue with women, and he thinks maybe by assigning Kathy to this parish, it will help Antony deal with that. The nicest, most wonderful person in this entire episode is the archdeacon. Yeah, he's so kind. He's very kind, and he ends up being the only minister, uh, the clergy to survive. Yes. So. <laughs> so we've got this Skimmington Day coming up yeah right it's the next day so not only is mildred in town for the funeral and to get antony in trouble but she's also going to be the honorary president of the skimmington society at skimmington day which will have stalls displays and competitions of which we see none well because the guy on the donkey getting shot sort of puts the kibosh on the rest of the festival i think they need the rainbirds there so the Skimmingtons meet at Pankhurst Hall, which is like the town hall, and the men, who are called the Broughton Riders, meet at the pub, which is the John Knox. So, so John Knox, the famous figure of Scottish Reformation, whose pamphlet, the first trumpet against the monstrous regiment of women, basically sealed his fate. He was, what happened was Elizabeth and Mary, Queen of Scots, basically came to power roughly at the same time. Mm -hmm. And he... He was like, dang old women taking charge? Dang old women. He (laughs) challenged the idea that children could be, have divine right, Mm -hmm. and challenged the, the idea that women could have a divine right. And so basically became the enemy of both of these women, Two of the most powerful women in Europe. 
not a good move. So after spending a year as a, he was um, basically turfed out of Scotland mm -hmm. and he had to spend a year as a deckhand. He was basically thrown on a ship and said, get to work, scum. Uh, he went to... He's kind of press-ganged, huh? Yeah, he was kind of press-ganged. He went to Germany, where he met with Calvin and came up with a lot of his ideas also. he re He's the father of Presbyterianism. So, okay. So. so it makes sense in this village that has this long gender war that they would have named the pub after him. Sort of. He's. It's. They're not Scottish. <laughs> and... As far as I could tell, they're not Presbyterian, they're Anglican. But he's a confirmed member of the He-Man Woman Hater Club. He is a confirmed <laughs> member of the He-Man Woman Hater Club. And really, in the 2018 uh, Mary Queen of Scots movie, David Tennant plays him with the whole long beard and everything. And it's he's in that movie, he's kind of like an evil Rasputin figure. He's like, women and... Ladies, yeah. <laughs> so then on the other hand, you have Pankhurst Hall, which I assume is named after Emmeline Pankhurst and not one of her two daughters. Um, Emmeline Pankhurst is, uh, was the leader of the suffragette movement, yep. getting women the vote in the UK. Um, she dedicated her whole life to it. Which, if you want to, you know, get a primer on protesting and the effects of protesting to get the vote for women in England, especially, and the horrible treatment they had. Yeah. Do some investigation of that. But Emmeline Pankhurst was not without flaws. No. Okay. No. And I think it's very interesting. We're getting all historical here, yes. people. Um, it's very interesting that they would name um, their hall after her because, so we've got a village where a whole generation of men died in World War One. Right. Yes. And that has caused all of these issues. Supposedly. I don't understand how all the death of the men make them hate men. Well, because Emmeline Pankhurst had serious issues with men and was militant in the turn in the sense that she was pro war, not pro war. She was not a pacifist. Yeah, neither was John Knox, by the way. Okay. He was like... But he's way before this. Okay, yeah, yeah. so... But Emmeline Pankhurst was one of the people who initiated the um, White Feather Girls okay. during World War One. What are the White Feather Girls? So these are girls who went around England, and they would pin white feathers on men who were not in uniform, calling them cowards. Wow. For not signing up. Wow. That's why that show is called Feathers, probably. There's a show about uh, conscientious objectors. Yes. Like yes. it's like four episodes. It's a sitcom. It's funny. Yes. But it's called That's Feathers. That's why it's called Feathers. Yeah. yeah. Because those guys are sitting out the war and hiding from everybody because they don't want to go fight. Right. Yeah. So before they started conscription for World War One, these girls would go around pinning white feathers on men. And some of that, some of those men, uh, were not signing up for reasons. Yeah. Because they were too young or because they were in a protected job and they needed to stay on the home front or because they had signed up, got injured and came home. Yeah. So they caused, these girls caused some problems 
And Emmeline Pankhurst was behind them. So the fact that this village is all sad and torn up because so many men voluntarily went to war and then they named their village hall after her, that's kind of a, there's some irony there, I think. Not that she didn't do a whole lot of other stuff that was good, but anyway, sorry, soapbox off of it. (laughs) So the idea is this, that if a... Man riding a donkey backwards with a hood on can last around a track. On the village green and not fall off. Then he can decide to stop the Skimmington race altogether. Right. Not that it's a much of a race. Did you notice that also? It's a ride. It's a ride. It's not a race. It's not a race. And... They didn't make up. Skimmington's not a reference to like the name of the village or anything no, like that. No, no, Skimmington no. is a term, and it goes way back. This this kind of um, uh, kind of mock trial thing yeah. has been going on, and it's very important that he gets hit with ladles because yeah. they're skimming. Ladles. They're skimming ladles. They're cheese skimming ladles. Yeah. Right. But it wasn't always men who got put on the horse no, to ride no, no, backwards. No, no, no. Women were put yeah. on the horse, too, in, in the real Skimmington rides. Yes. And it could be because they were caught uh, committing some kind of infidelity. Yep. It could be they put both of the husband and the wife on the horse because they bickered too much. It was public shaming. Yes. Basically. So now the Skimmingtons in this episode, they choose who will ride the, the donkey or the horse based on a charge of misogyny. Yes. That's that's their charge every time is who is the misogynist. And I, I, there's a kind of subtle implication here. It's not really said, but it's a long-term idea that gay men don't like women. Gay, women. gay men don't like women to have sex with, but I don't think being gay and a man... Makes you makes anti-woman. You hate, makes you anti-woman. No, that's just Anthony's problem. That's yeah. not... A, a man problem. It's Anthony's problem. Because he is an asshole. He is. Pardon my French. And I don't know why anyone goes to this church. Anthony he's is... He's thoroughly unlikable. Anthony's unlikable. And I got to say, Kath is not the most warm and fuzzy person either. And they're both like the most ungodly people I've ever seen oh in, my a, gosh. in a habit. Yep. Like, they... He, she just totally breaks into his house. And he's a thief and a liar. And if only there was something on the back of a chair that would remind me how to act. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> so we've got this awesome scene where the Skimmingtons are in the town hall and they're plotting. And the Broughton writers are in the pub and they're plotting. And luckily, Polly. Polly, the spy who works at the pub... Is recording. Well, not really. I thought it was recording. She's like streaming their meeting from her little phone that yes. she doesn't know to mute. I love that she drops a pickled egg on the floor and then just dusts it off on her shirt. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've never eaten a pickled egg. So oh. I like pickled things and I like boiled eggs, but a pickled egg sounds disgusting to sounds me. Sounds disgusting. And I can't imagine that a little bit of dirt makes it much worse. I'm sure there are people out there who like them. If only we had an Irish stereotype here to help us. Oh, but we do. And he's the doctor. He's the doctor. The only person to appear in both four funerals and a wedding and four weddings and a funeral. Yes. The actor Struan Roger is his name. Um, The. (laughs) So Mildred lives in Oxford. Yes. So she comes 
to Broughton to make problems, and she stays at the Knox. She yeah. stays at the inn. Yep. Rather than staying at Gant's house, which is based, I guess, their ancestral home. I guess. Because for a, a vicar, he's got a really nice place. He has, you know whose place he has? He has the place of the woman who ran the financial club in Market for Murder. Oh, he has her house. He has her house. That's nice. That's a pretty damn nice house. <laughs> wonder what Gerald would have to say about that. Well, the Skimmingtons are all concerned because apparently Gant and Roland, who is Henry's son, are working together to uh, take a legal path to ending the Skimmington ride. They're not worried about the ride. No. They have the ladles in hand. They've been practicing. Yes. With Bluebell. Yes. And they're confident. Yes. He knows how to ride backwards. He has stretched. <laughs> it is knickers. <laughs> so I wanted to know whether... Richard McCabe, who plays Anthony, is, just eats up oh, this he's entire great. He's great. Episode. He's horribly great. So the Skimmingtons are concerned because apparently Gant and Roland think that they can shut them down by saying that they, because they don't allow men to be members of members of the Skimmington now, committee. Now, how does that work? Because there's lots of organizations that don't allow genders, like the Women's Institute, for instance. Yeah, it's it's not it's not a reasonable thing that they could do. They they could not shut them down because they don't accept male members. Okay, they're not discriminating. So, as evidence, I looked it up because I wanted to know. Like, is that actually a law in the UK? And if it is, then have has the WI have had to start accepting male members? I, I keep saying male members, and it just sounds so bad. Um, <laughs> or, as, as the son of a WI woman, I was basically yeah. a male person in the WI. It's, I played Santa Claus for them. I like for my the time I was like. 13 on, I played Santa Claus at their Christmas party. <laughs> well, and then I also wanted to know, if that's the case, then why then do the Masons have to accept women? Yes. Because they're a long-standing male-only organization. So I well, looked the, it up. Well, the Masons have the Eastern Star, too. Well, that's not the same. No. Saying we also have a women's organization is not the same as saying we don't accept women into ours. Well, yeah, because the, the brother... the what is it? The Knights of Columbus. There's not the ladies of Columbus. No, no. So the WI does not accept men. Okay. Um, but in 2013, in the Berkshire News, okay, a man who was told he wasn't allowed to join the Women's Institute has started a revolution by setting up his own club just for men. Okay. There are 22 men. In that club. Do they have a calendar? It's quite the revolution, don't you think? They get together and ride bikes. Um, so the WI does not accept men. And the Masons don't accept women, except about 10 years ago, they had to pass a little rule. And they were preemptive in this. So if you join the Masons as a man and then decide that you would like to have gender reassignment surgery to become a woman, you can remain a Mason as a woman. Oh. Because the, the rule for Masonic stuff is you have to be a man of good character who believes in God. Yeah. That's 
to get into right. Masons. If you which, which changed like before, you couldn't be black yeah. or Catholic or right. <laughs> anything like that. But. Um, but also, if you were born a woman and had gender reassignment surgery to become a man, you can join as a man. Oh, I think uh, the Women's Institute. But if you just the ident- Revolutionary Men's Institute, yes, the Knights of Columbus, the Eastern Star, the Masons, and the Trans Masons. <laughs> Are all eager to have new people be joining them. <laughs> I just found it interesting that the the statement that I read from the Masons was very clear that simply identifying as male is not enough. Yeah. You've got to have the right bits, even you if you weren't born with them. Yep. And if you have those those bits changed, that's okay. But it seems at some point in your life, you must have had the right bits when you joined. (laughs) I actually probably think it has to do with more the top bits than the bottom bits because, okay, rabbit hole here. (laughs) Because they're topless in some of their ceremonies? some of their ceremonies, they're topless. (laughs) So if you join as a man and then become a woman, you can like wear a tank top or something. I guess. (laughs) Well, no, if you join... The, the, it's the, the ceremony the, the when you join that you're topless. <laughs> is when you join. After that, you get to wear the cloak of secrecy. Not that I know anything about Masonic stuff at all or any of their secret dealings. Of course not. No. Your, your dad was a Mason, but no. you don't know anything no. about that stuff, right? No. Yeah. I don't need a visit. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't come knock on our door. Um, Speaking of of cloaks of secrecy, Antony puts on this cloak that is just fantastic. It's so dramatic. It's black. It goes down to his ankles. It's wool. It's got a hood. It's got. He looks two- like Heathcliff <laughs> heading towards the moors. He's, it's got two big frogs on the front yeah. of it. You know, those frogs are those um, rope clasps that are yep. not in a loop, right? And I was like. Huh. I wonder if that's that's dramatic on Antony's part, or if that's actually part of Anglican. Garb. I've never seen it as part of Anglican garb. Uh, I fell down a rabbit hole of a few sites where you can buy your ecclesiastical clothing. Okay. And there's plenty of black cloaks on there for people of all denominations to wear as part of their ecclesiastical outfits. I don't know why, like, Barnaby looks out the window and sees him running across the moors for no reason that he... (laughs) Like, Barnaby doesn't go to the window because he hears something. He's just casually looking out the window because he's found, because Polly has found Mrs. Danvers dead. Yes. So, Jamiroquai Danvers is dead. (laughs) And Henry has been there the night before. Everybody. She had a, she. There's a rotating door on her hotel room. Which sounds much worse. Poor woman. But so Henry brings back her flask. Yes. And I have a question about flasks. Okay. Um, when, it, when does it become, or what, do you, what, what kind of lifestyle do you have to have for it to be acceptable to carry a flask? Well, as you know, I don't carry a flask. <laughs> well, you don't leave the house. So if you had one in your shorts pocket, it would be a little weird. And, and why does Kieran not have a flask? See, that's what I'm getting at. Is it because he is clearly an, an alcoholic? alcoholic. <laughs> uh, is it because she's retired? 
Maybe. So if you're if you're not responsible anymore, you can carry a flask and take a nip now and then. Or well, now that I'm sort of partially retired because I don't have a job starting in the fall, like can I carry a flask then? Around the house, I guess. Like, but because I wear shorts all the time, you're going to see it like yeah. around my thigh. <laughs> you could you could wear it around your neck on a little lanyard. Mm. <laughs> Sweet whiskey. I think she's the first woman I have seen who carries a flask in Midsummer. And it's just an excuse to have fingerprints. It's just an excuse to have a sip of whiskey whenever you want. Yeah. Oh, but it's a little cold outside, so you need a little nip every now and then. Yeah. That doesn't fly. I couldn't carry around one in the wintertime and say I just need a little nip now and then to stay warm. It's like alcohol. It's at work. It's a weird thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's right out. You're not allowed to have it. I don't know. Anyway, I'm like, I, I need to think about what I've done wrong in my life that I don't have the lifestyle that makes it acceptable to carry a flask. What mistakes have I made? <laughs> I've never carried a flask. <laughs> so, so that night... Anthony, at the height of his weirdness, is on his rowing machine. Okay, so there's this two minutes of film has so much to dissect. Oh my gosh. So, first of all, the scene starts on a piece of needlepoint, it's an antimacassar. What is an antimacassar? It's a, a piece of ornamental fabric it's usually a crocheted doily but sometimes it's a cross-stitch thing that goes on the back of a chair and it's to protect the fabric of the chair from macassar oil which was a kind of hair oil that men used in their hair in the 19 teens on but it became like i remember going and then it just became decorative yeah right i mean i i remember my grandmother who was born in 1904 I think um, she crocheted a lot and she made tons of doilies and she was constantly making antimacassars yep, because mother, it was just, it was just too. a place to put a doily basically yeah. if you wanted to make something look fancy. Cause my mom crocheted. So she crocheted doily yeah. stuff. For but her. when I was a kid, I thought it was an anti-massacre. Oh, like a doily would stop massacres. Well, kind of and this doily does. <laughs> and I didn't understand how, a doily could stop people from killing each other, but oh, okay, Grandma, go make you make as many as you want. Well, funny you should say that. Yeah, because Antony's is cross stitched with "Thou shalt not kill." Is that something you need around the house as a reminder? Apparently so. Does he have all the other commandments? I have a homicidal urge to kill some. Oh, I saw the anti-macassar. That's, right. That's right. You're not supposed not to kill supposed anybody. To. That's right. That's like, right. That is the commandment that mo- the most amount of people agree on. I don't need to be reminded of that. Yeah. But that's so the kind then, of person Antony is. So then we have Antony working out on his rowing machine, speaking from the Book of Common Prayer. Now, I didn't know this, that the Book of Common Prayer, the original Book of Common Prayer, caused so much problems that Devon and Cornwall almost seceded from England because of this book. Wow. And he makes a reference to, I have followed too much the devices and desires of my sinful heart. Which then I was like, wait a minute, devices and desires is familiar. It's a P.D. James book. 
So P.D. James named her book after the same passage. That passage. If you haven't read P.D. James, she's a British author, famous female British author who in the 70s and 80s wrote an amazing series of books called uh, The Daglish. Yeah. um, It's Inspector Daglish. And some of them have been made into films. And TV shows. And and th- this is the first one that I read. But but he's so he's on this rowing machine, surrounded by candles, in front of a fireplace, and I think it's an act of self-flagellation. I it, think he's it totally is he's rowing as self-punishment. Yes, which would make me think that he should be thin and fit. No, not in his knickers. He's not thin and fit. <laughs> he's kind of round. So either. He doesn't feel like he has to punish himself very often, or he makes up for it. <laughs> I guess. Behind the punch bowl. Yes. <laughs> the punch, fa- the champagne fountain. So the next day, the Skimmingtons are setting up the ride. And really, I want my own Skimmington apron and hat. Oh, no, they're padded vests. Sorry, padded vests. Yeah, and, and hats. But not only are they setting up the ride, they're also setting up the shooting competition. Yes. Which alcoholic Dr. O'Dowd is in charge of, apparently. I don't know why he is in charge well, of Well, nobody trusts him with a gun. That's why. I, so he gets to be I the judge. I see a wee hole down there where I can put my pot of gold. Okay. That was just a little bit racist against Irish His people. whole character is a little bit racist. But he's Irish. Ugh. And then we find out, so uh, I'm trying not to get pedantic with this episode. Like we can't go through every beat of it, but there's just so much awesomeness right at the beginning, right? We're like five minutes into the episode right now. So now we know that Tom is not just off for the weekend, Barnaby, because he has to be a community liaison. Turns out he's filling in for... Uh, a chief constable who is a woman yes. who is unable to be there to be the invigilator for the Skimmington ride. And what does the invigilator do? It just means referee. Yes. So Tom is going to be the invigilator for the ride, which gets him away from the house. So that's okay because his mother-in-law has come to stay Muriel. Yes. Uh, so he puts on his Tombola suit. Yep. Tom in his Tombola suit. With his bow tie. With his bow tie and goes off to shoot his darting pistol twice. Okay. I am going to say this and maybe we need people to help us, but I have never been to a race in my entire... Of any kind. Of any kind in which you shoot the gun at the beginning and at the end. It's called a starting pistol for a reason. Starting. It's not an ending pistol. It's not the ending pistol. (laughs) But it must be tradition for this race because Lorna is counting on it to cover the sound of the shot when she shoots Gant. Yes. Anthony Gant on his horse. Anthony. Anthony. So then we get, uh, because he's going there to to do this community liaison work, Joyce and Cully and his mother-in-law, Muriel, will accompany him. Now, Muriel is... Like just a tiny little bit part in this episode. Yeah, she comes back. Uh, well, or at least we get reference to her. Yeah. Now, I need to take a little bit of a digression. Okay. Because. Because we haven't done that enough already. No, 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 no. So, Tom. The rest of this podcast is going to be, and three other people died and there was a wedding. Yeah. <laughs> 
So two things about Muriel. One is Tom makes it sound like, oh, my mother-in-law, she's so awful. She's coming to the house and it'll be nothing but like explicit medical discussions. Muriel is awesome. She is. She says to Joyce, don't be a sissy. I don't want to go shopping. I want to go see this ride. It's awesomeness, right? She is absolutely way fun. The second thing you need to know is she's played by Daphne Oxenford. Okay. And I'm going to read two sentences to you. Okay. That symbolize why Daphne Oxenford is important. Are you ready? Okay. Hit me up. Are you, sim- are you sitting comfortably? We'll begin. Then I'll begin. Yes. That's her. Oh, that's her? That's her. Wow. So if you don't know this. She was the BBC Children's Radio program host for Listen With Mother. Which began. 1950 to 1971. Yeah. If you're sitting comfortably, we'll begin. So at a quarter to two every day. This is the BBC Light Program for Mothers and Children at Home. Are you ready for the music? When it stops, Daphne Oxenford will be here to speak with you. And then she would come on and say, Are you sitting, are you comfortably? sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. And she would read a story. For the 21 way, years. The reason I know that is because a, a really horrible 80s Canadian band that had a British singer in it started one of their songs with that sample. Yeah. And we didn't know where it was from, and we repeated it over and over again. And then my friend's mom, who spent some time in England when she was a kid, was like, oh, no, that's from this. It's been used in all kinds of contexts. Yeah. Right? But that's where it's from. It's from Listen With Mother, which was this daily story it sounds time. weird already. Yeah. <laughs> but she, she was known everywhere yeah like she was an icon of the bbc radio she was like mr rogers radio personality in england yes yes um and that was just sort of early career she did all kinds of things okay so the fact that she's in this episode is like when honor blackman was in an episode of dead summers i mean she's she's that Big of a deal. And the fact that she's Joyce's mom, I think, just makes her even more awesome. That's fantastic. I had no idea. That's just amazing. She's also the actor who is in our... That movie looks awful, but Mark's seen it. Okay, pick me up. <laughs> I've got two for you, and they both... Uh, They're both movie that movies that Daphne Oxenford was in. She's not starring, but she was in both these movies. Okay. Have you seen... Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed from 1969. Yes. It's a hammer horror film. It has Christopher Lee in it. Mm, Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing. And Freddie Jones. Freddie Jones. Who's also been in Midsummer. Yes. Right? Okay. I'm not surprised Who's that Toby you... Jones' dad. Yes. I'm not surprised you've seen Frankenstein yeah. Must Be Destroyed. Frankenstein Must Be... That's pretty much a hammer classic. But in 1973, okay. she was in a movie with... David Essex, Billy Fury, Keith Moon, and Ringo Starr. Okay. Called That'll Be the Day, 1973. I've heard of this movie, but I've never seen it. Ah, one point for me. Yep. It's, a, it's, it's like um, uh, a rough and tumble version of Grease, sort of. Um, 
basically this guy is kind of a, an aimless guy. He tries different careers, hooks up with a woman, has a kid, and then decides he's going to be a rock and roller and leaves her. It's a, like from a Buddy Holly song. Yeah. That'll be the day. That I die. Yep. I got a point. You did. Hey. But that that is Daphne Oxenford, who's a legend. The long and strange career of Ringo Starr in movies. <laughs> so Tom is there. Mildred's dead. The doctor says he picked up the flask. It's in his pocket. What do you know? Like he was going to steal it. Laden with barbiturates. Lashings of barbiturates. Lashings of barbiturates. But before Tom knows that, what does he do? Opens it, sniffs it, tastes it. Tom! I'm like, what are you doing putting that in your mouth? Just a fingertip of it. And then we get, they, they talk about Mildred's time of death later. And none of, it doesn't matter when she died because the murderer wasn't there when she died. She was poisoned. Her flask was poisoned way before then. And we're not sure that she's a murder victim. It's still unknown. The world's fastest lab that also does DNA later figures out the lashings of barbiturates. Because Georgie and the geezers are leveling up. They are. Not only, they had the fingerprint machine last week. The Toshiba. But now, they got lasers. Lasers! And the fastest DNA analysis ever. It's just amazing how fast it is. So the reason why they have lasers is because of Anthony's death. Yes. So. They need to figure out where the shot came from. Because, spoiler alert, Lorna shot him while he was on the horse as Tom shoots the finishing pistol. <laughs> this woman should have been at the book depository in, in Dallas. In Dallas. The yeah. fact that she can shoot him while he's bucking around on a horse backwards. With a shroud on. And there is a crowd of people in front of him and behind him. Yep. He's not facing her and she shoots him between the eyes. It's amazing. She's Annie Oakley times 100. And the other thing is that I don't know if you picked up on this, but Tom and Jones are like, well, it must be up the tower. And then uh, Georgie shows his new weapon, his new thing off. His new weapon. He almost said weapon. His new laser beam off. And Barnaby's kind of like, well, we already knew that it was up there. Thanks for telling us. Thanks for that valuable information that we'd already figured out. I'm like, let the man have his toy. You know, I don't care. I don't think Georgie's bothered by that at all. I hope not. Georgie and the geezers are so uh, happy about their upgraded apparatus they that they're just having They have a satellite time. Pro 420, 4200 series Woo! laptop. Fancy, uh, fancy. Yep. Uh, also, the math involved with what they're doing is absolutely wrong. But it's on the computer screen, Mark. <laughs> that makes it right. It's two lines. Okay. And then the laser shines right up through the window. Oh, okay. Math, schmath, who cares? You know what else is awesome? Because they've already figured out the angle yes. of the gunshot. So they must know. Because they measured it in his head. They must know exactly how tall the horse was. 
Yeah. Whether he was slumped over or not. Yeah. What direction he was looking. They've done the autopsy already. There are so many variables. Yes. But the only high place is the bell tower. So it has to be there. Poor Georgie. Goats. My, there are a lot of goats in this episode. Yep. They're nanny goats, too, because they're being milked. Yep. They're so it's nanny. a whole bunch of nanny goats, which I'm guessing is where the animal barbiturates that killed Mildred came from. I'm guessing. Because, you know, you just give goats barbiturates. <laughs> You're jumping and screaming too much. Have a barbiturate. Yes. Because... <laughs> The super uptight ladies who milk the goats are not on barbiturates. No. Their heads, when Jones comes to that door, whip around. You hear, when their heads turn, they're like, what do you want, So man? There is this whole thing about Jones taking the DNA samples. And it is, like, dramatized in a way that's so weird. The DNA samples that are necessary because they found an eyelash in the flask and then they find an eyelash on the gun sight. How does an eyelash get in a flask? Well, okay. You clearly don't know how to drink because you put the uh, the flask up to your eye oh. and you pour the alcohol into your eye. Oh. Then while you're screaming, you rub your <laughs> eye against the gun sight. <laughs> An eyelash on a gun sight makes sense. You put your eye up against it. Yeah. But the fact that Kathy is so unfortunate that her eyelash just happens to drift down into the flask, it doesn't make any sense. Lorna, not Kathy. Oh, I thought they say that it's Kathy's eyelash, but no. Lorna put it there. No, they think it's Kathy's because they switch Kathy's and Lorna's DNA, the doctor. Ah, see, and one more confusion point here. Well, since the doctor's doing the DNA, we can't kill him. What? Well, and Tom is too busy to solve this crime at this point because he's switching in and out of his tombola suit. Because every, every other scene, he's got his obnoxious red vest on and bow tie, and then he's like, normal suit, tombola suit, normal suit, tombola suit. It's so weird. So we haven't even got to the complicated episode. I know. This episode. So the farm where all the nanny goats are is Anskin Farm, uh, owned by Peggy Anscombe, who we haven't we've hardly even mentioned yet. I have a question, and I'm going to try not to sound like a sexist asshole. Okay. If all the men died, okay. Uh huh. The Anscombe women must have married other men. Yep. Okay. And they would not keep the name Anscombe. And she, like Peggy, does not look like she's a child of the Second World War. No. Or the First World War. No. So why does she have a last name Anscombe? Because she kept it. Okay. Because you're allowed to do that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Hence why my last name isn't the same as yours, though we're married. Because women can do that. I understand that, but... Her lineage is completely left open. We don't know who Fiona's dad is. We don't know who Peggy was married to before or if nope. she was married before. And no, nope. um, because she's Fiona's mom. And we don't know where her parents en- ended up. No, unless they also burned in the fire. No, at I checked. Marwood Manor. I checked. 
because you know the whole town was there. No Anscombs died in the fire. Okay. Um, the poor, poor Harold and Dorothy Serfield, who don't appear in the episode, twenty-eight and thirty-two, who died in the fire. Okay. Were they like the housemaid and the butler or something? I guess. Because Lorna was there as the nurse, the nursemaid, yes. with yes. her child and their child together. Elizabeth and Richard, who I think are the actual parents of... They are the Marwood parents. The Marwood parents. And his brother, George, who is not... No, no. So, so George, who the hell is George Marwood? Okay. So he, George would be Ben's older, Henry's older brother. Yes. Okay, George. And then Montague. <laughs> You've got to have a Sinjin and a Montague. Montague, who is 67. I'm thinking he's Richard's older brother, as well as Catherine Elizabeth Marwood. She would be Montague's wife. This is all so too, just too confusing and unnecessary. Oh, the point is, is that when the Marwood Manor burnt down, the only two people who survived were Lorna and the baby that she rescued, which she claimed was Henry, but was actually Ben. And poor Alan, the gravedigger, was like six at the time, and he was nearby and saw it all, and it broke him. Alan. The problems I have with Alan. Why is he in this episode? What does he add to the episode at all? He's usually the... So Alan is a character who works He's for a, the church. He's a grave digger. He takes care of the graves. He hears voices in the graves. He's a little PTSD from the fire. Okay? Yep. Usually, that person in a drama like this gives a, an essential clue near the end of the episode. Like a clue where they were speaking the truth but nobody realized it at the time. Absolutely. They try this, to do that with Alan. That's a common trope. Yes. And about halfway through the episode, they just completely forget about Alan completely. They try to do it in that he, he sort of tells Tom that Lorna didn't show up when she was supposed to meet with Gant. And he sort of tells Tom that Kathy's in the grave and that since he was just randomly yeah. hanging out in it the night before, I think that he, <laughs> we th see him just climb out of it in the dark. I think he kind of, yeah, I think he also implies that Lorna didn't come to her own child's funeral. Yes. Because it wasn't her child who died. Yes. So she never visits the grave because yes. it's not her, her son in the grave. It's the Marwood son in the grave. Okay. We have family trees before the episode and after the episode. It's, it, so now Mildred codes. is dead. Yep. Anthony is dead. Yep. Now Lorna has to control the situation. She's got to get to the DNA samples and she's got to get to that photograph that proves that there was a man who looks like Henry. But who has the photograph? Kathy. Who just... Broke in. Broke into Gant's house to steal it after he stole it from Mildred. Well, she didn't break into the house to steal it. She wanted to see the legal papers. Right, but she puts it in her pocket. What not there a commandment about thou shall not steal? Like, maybe that needs to be on the back of uh, Kath's chair. Well, it doesn't matter because Kath doesn't survive the night. Nope. 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 Lorna has lost control of the situation. Yes. So in the same night, she... 
visits Kyrian, the doctor. Now, yeah. I feel that the doctor and her are sweet on each other. It, it's one of these kind of relationships where you have feelings for this person, but it's not ever going to happen. So you're nice to this person. Right. And Kieran volunteers to keep an eye on the case that has all the DNA swabs in it. Because, you know, it's just too giant, big and bulky for Jones to just keep with him. Or to take back to Costin because it must be 15 minutes away. Right. Clearly, he'd have to take a train. Yeah. So Kieran's going to lock it in the pharmacy cupboard. Which he doesn't do until after he's messed with is it. is not evidence procedure no. in any way. No, but he's a doctor, so we can trust him, right? Because doctors in Midsummer are always trustworthy. But he's an Irish doctor, so <laughs> clearly he's an alcoholic and untrustworthy. <laughs> That's what they're implying. I know. I'm not saying. I know. <laughs> You're not saying that. They're saying that. Yes. So he... He volunteers to help get the get more of the women tested because his nurse is going to make the appointments and make the women come in and do it. I, I don't know why that even is a thing because Jones is, you know, approaching women from across the room with a swab sticking dun, out. Dun, dun, dun. Dun. And he swabs all the goatee ladies. Yep. Oh, when he's swabbing the goatee ladies, the nanny keepers, that's when we see Fiona's awesome belt buckle. Okay, so Fiona is Peggy's daughter. Right. And she's a firebrand. She yes. hates all men. Yes. So it's Anscombe Farm. So their logo is a big scripty A and a big scripty F. Yep. But Fiona's belt buckle says F-A because she's Fiona Anscombe. Oh, okay. But her belt buckle is about the size of a bread plate. Wow. <laughs> no wonder Roland is attracted to her. Though they hate each other. I hate you, but I love your belt buckle. Can we have babies now? <laughs> Our families hate each other. We're like Romeo and Juliet, but nobody cares. We're now kind of step-siblings. Isn't this kind of weird? <laughs> so so Lorna bonks Kieran on the head. So bonk, she can on the head. mess yep. with the DNA samples, but she doesn't kill him. But she's like, okay, so I didn't kill him, but now... I got to go kill Kathy because she saw the photograph. Yep. Though Kathy doesn't seem to have put two and two together. No. She's just like, hey, here's a picture of Mildred and some guy. She wouldn't know that it wasn't Henry. Uh, Henry's, Henry's dad. dad. No. But Lorna's like, I'm not taking any chances. Guess I got to kill another clergy member. Bonk. Bonk, bonk on the head. And dumps her in a grave. And then buries her. Yeah. After Alan's crawled out of it. In the dark. And when Tom... So this this would have been Anthony's funeral, which would have been the third funeral, but yep. it's interrupted because they find a body in the grave before they can put Anthony in it. So the first funeral's Vivian. Right. The second one... Mildred. ...is Mildred. The with third. all female pallbearers. Yes. And I liked that. Peggy does a eulogy that is, I'm getting married to somebody. <laughs> Yeah. She sort of takes over the whole ceremony. Yes. She's got a good intention, but it's like, this is not the place. And Fiona gets pissed off and leaves, which I understand. She also has a fantastic hat. It's not as good as Mildred's hat, but she's got a black black velvet paperboy hat. But Roland is the person 
she detests the most and he detests her the most and she runs out of the church and he's like I'm needed yeah (laughs) I'm gonna follow her out so we've got Vivian's funeral we've got Mildred's funeral Gant's funeral is interrupted by Kathy's death yep that's three and then we've got Kathy's funeral that's our fourth okay poor Kathy the actress uh, her name is Hattie Ladbury. Okay, during she, Gant's funeral, though, we do have to mention the fake rain. Yes. So they've got a rain machine going. Yes. But then they during a sunny British day. Yes. <laughs> but then they add extra CGI rain that falls straight down. But they don't get rid of the shadows that everyone is casting because it's sunny. Yes. No. Um. <laughs> But she's in the bottom of that grave, and I don't know if when they actually show her in it, it could be a much shallower hole. Yes. But she's pretty much buried in the dirt, and it's not a fake body. It's her. No, I think what they did was she lied off frame, and they covered up her arm. But but when Georgie's digging her out and says that she was hit on the back of the head, it's her. Oh, yeah, that's her. And her most of her face is still in the dirt. Which I think we'll get to it, but I think... That probably deserves the award because she's that like it's impressive. Yeah. Never mind these people dig graves that are square with shovels in two minutes. Well, you know, Alan doesn't have anything else to do. No, he doesn't. Besides creep around windows and dig holes. So Tom has it all figured out. He writes the solution down on a piece of paper and then lets Ben figure it out. Yes. Through the DNA. Okay, that's not how you do legal stuff. (laughs) I know. But the DNA proves that Henry is Lorna's son, which means he's not Henry, he's Ben. Yes. So she was a nursemaid. There's a fire. She's got two babies. Her husband's dying. Her husband is dying trying to get to her. Yeah, and she knows that her life is not going to be good after this fire because her husband's dying. Right, And, and she would be alone with her son. So, who's not her son? Who's not his son anyway? Yes. So she picks up her son and carries him out and says, oh, this is Henry. People know one-year-olds apart. (laughs) I would think so. And I would think he would go, Ben. No, your name's Henry now. Ben. No, your name's Henry now. Ben. (laughs) And who raised him? I don't know. I I don't know what happens. To the whole Marwood estate. Yeah. Well. But, I mean, because he's, he, if they think that that's Henry, they think that's, yeah, if they think that's Henry, he's the only survivor of the family. He can't just be little Lord Fauntleroy running the estate by himself when he's one. And he's inherited, apparently, all these debts. Right. But you'd think that he would have, like, gone to live with relatives or something. Something. He miraculously grows up on his own. <laughs> Now, as a mother of multiples, I know that when my kids were one, I could have carried all three of them out of a fire. Yes. I know this because when I left the hospital with them, they gave me this cool apron, and I didn't understand why the doctors were giving me an apron. And so I said, what's this for? And it had three big pockets on the front of it. And the whole point was that if there was an emergency, you would basically put a baby in each pocket. Yeah. And get out of the house. It was Oof. to enable you to carry them in an emergency. 
I would think any nanny or nursemaid worth their salt would know how to carry two babies at once. I would think so. Like what? Throw them in a blanket and tie a knot around them and carry them over your shoulder. Yeah, they'll get beat up, but they'll be alive. And that is a simple thing corrected by a script where it says Henry was already gone. Right. Or I had to climb down the side of the building and I knew I could only carry one of them and do that. Or Henry was on the other side of the room and we were separated by fire. Yes. Yes. Something. Easy solutions. But instead, she chose to let one kid die. Yeah. Poor Henry. Poor Henry. Poor real Henry. Yeah. Not Ben Braintree, which is a bad name. Braintree? Braintree, you know, the teak salesman who showed up for a day. Got Lorna. bonked everybody. And then left. Even he though. He bonks Mildred. He bonks Lorna. He's the bonking Braintree. And then he bonks off back to wherever he was raising his teak farm. Yes. Burma. That's where he was. Burma. Thank Burma. you. But now we know that Lorna... The Bonking Brain Tree from Burma is now the title of this episode. So now we know that Henry is actually Ben and he's Lorna's son, but she's a murderer now. So uh, he's like, oh, it's sorry. I didn't know you were my mom. I love you. Um, But now I'm going to go get married. Okay. And gets married to Peggy. There are some problems. First of all, You're constantly, and you did this, and I know I did this too, going, wait a minute. Are Peggy and Ben somehow related to each other? Ben Henry. Ben slash Henry. Yes. You're constantly going, are they... Are they related? Well, I also kept thinking that Lorna was Peggy's mom. Yes. Because she acts like a mother to her. Why? I, I, I I have an essential question. Barnaby goes, you found out the two people most important to you were getting married. Her son, Henry, who is actually Ben. Henry Ben. Henry Ben. Which I understand why he is important. Mm -hmm. And Peggy. Mm -hmm. Why is she in any way important to her? I think the Ainscombs took her in after the Marwoods let her go. They must have. So she's kind of raised Peggy. I guess. Sort of. I don't know. And easily fixed again with a line from Fiona that goes, you've always been in our lives. You're like the grandmother I never had. Yeah, something. Period. End of sentence. Something to clear that up. Giant (laughs) platter. Hey, here's something interesting. Um, The actress who played Peggy Anscombe, um, Sean Thomas, and the actress who played Lorna, Sandra Vaux, were both in Eric the Viking. I knew that. Sean Thomas was in Eric and the Viking. Yeah, she plays Thorhild the Sarcastic, <laughs> which I just love. And uh, Sandra Voss, Lorna, she plays Ivor's mom. So <laughs> if you watch Eric the Viking, which you should watch, uh, for two reasons. One, everybody is in this movie. Everybody. And everybody in the background is somebody you recognize. Like yes. Jim Broadband shows up in one scene. Yes. As a rapist. Yes. Says one line and then disappears. Eats the scenery and then leaves. Yeah. Yes. Second of all, it has absolutely the best explanation of an organization that cannot see its own <laughs> demise happening. Yes. 
in that they go to where? What island is it? It's some island. I don't know. And and uh, Terry Jones plays the leader of that island. Yes. And he is completely oblivious to the fact that the island is sinking. Yeah. And says things like, "We're not sinking." No, let's <laughs> just sing. as they sink. Yes. So the episode ends with Lorna admitting everything. Henry Ben goes to see her. Then Henry Ben, who's now Ben Henry. <laughs> Because he's changed his name to his real name. Because you do that when you're in your 50s. You just change your name. He's, no, he's not a Marwood anymore. So he and Peggy get married. And so they he's let Lorna, living on the Marwood estate, which he apparently inherited in the 60s mm-hmm. as a baby. Mm-hmm. Wrongly. Right. So Correct. Who owns that property? Not Roland, because Roland's no, not a Marwood either. No, Roland. Roland is last name is Hastings. Yes. So I don't know. I also had a question of if he's not who he says he is, are any of the documents that he signed or were part of legal in any way? He signed them in good faith thinking that that was actually his name. He wasn't being being deceptive, so... But somebody could easily challenge his and Vivian's wedding. Yeah. Yeah. They could challenge that, and they could challenge anything that he's done legally with the farm. Like Vivian's family, who we know nothing about. No. Could say... You were never never legally married. Never married, and Roland should be with us. Though Roland is a man of 45... (laughs) Living he's, at home? In his 20s, he's helping out with the farm. It's a okay. family farm, right? It's not the family farm anymore. Well, I can tell you one thing that he'll be happy about. Henry can walk away from all the Marwood debt. Yes. He can say, that's not my debt. Yeah. I'm Ben Braintree Hastings. That's not my debt. <laughs> so if we're going to talk about after the credits, the Marwood farm is just like there. The cows are like, who owns this now? I don't know. Moo. <laughs> And uh, Henry just runs off to go, you know what? The, the Ainscombe farm looks a little bit more prosperous. I'm going to be over there now. And I'll be the only dude on a farm full of women. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, Roland and Fiona are making googly eyes at each other. Like, oh, yeah. hey, maybe I don't hate you after all. I got a big belt buckle. You want to see it? We haven't talked about Best Corpse yet. But we can do after the credits first. Okay. The doctor has to lose his license. He didn't do anything. I think he did. And I think they have a case against him. I think he considered it. Polly's just so overly emotional about everything. Poor Polly. (laughs) She's just got to go back to the John Knox and serve drinks and dust eggs. Alan wanders around being cryptic. Yeah. That's it. Living in his caravan. But the Marwood estate is the loneliest, saddest place now. They're going to have to find a new vicar. Yeah, there's... The, the archdeacon does the wedding because there's no clergy left. No, they're all dead. <laughs> and who's going to own Gant's house? Yeah, there's no one left in that family either. It, it can't be the vicarage. It can't be the property of the church because no. he says that Mildred should come stay there yeah. at Gant Manor or whatever he calls it. Like Gant Manor. Um, so, you know, she should, she should come and stay with, at the family manse. So that is also unclaimed because he didn't have any kids. Yeah. Maybe he's got siblings. We don't know. Are the Skimmingtons done? Is the ride done? Will it ever happen again? I don't think so. Somebody got shot. Yeah. They're not going to do that again. Yeah. 
So now uh, Broughton, the village, has also lost its main event of the year. It destroys this village. Lorna destroys this village. Mildred does it by showing up. Yep. Best corpse. All Mildred Big Hat's fault. Yes. Best Best corpse. corpse. (laughs) Nice corpse. We have Mildred, Anthony Gant, and Kathy to choose from. Who do you pick? Kath in the hole. I don't know. Mildred sits in that chair drooling for a long time. Yeah, she does. Though she does breathe quite a bit. She does. There's a lot of breathing there. I'm going with, I'm going with you. I'll go Kath in the hole, too. Okay. Yeah, because that looks like a really uncomfortable death, and she pulls it off. Anything else we haven't covered for four funerals and a wedding? No, not off the top of my head. All right. What's the next episode? Tell me it's something simpler. Dance with the dead. It's not simpler. It's not simpler. It's the airfield in Morton Fendel yep. with the brother mm. and the dead bodies. Yep, and the clothing set out by the fence. And the, I'm going to spoil it here. Murderous female vet. <laughs> Murderous lesbian female vet. It's another episode with references to the world wars. Yes. For sure. Yes, it is. Wow, I'm tired of just trying to think about this episode. Just keeping it all in my head has been challenging. There, there are many people online with this episode in particular who are like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> it's so hard to keep straight. We had to make little charts yes. of before the, at the start of the episode and after the episode and who died in the fire. And Mark even color-coded them for if, yes. you, if your box is red, you died in a fire. Yes. <laughs> it's that confusing. And, okay, so not only did Mildred destroy this town, but Jack Braintree flew in from Burma, bonked everything in sight, and then left and caused years of problems. Yeah, yeah. And that's before the manor burnt down. Well, plus he had that bad Photoshop job. Oh, that's (laughs) true. Yeah, yeah, that's tough. So, are you sitting comfortably? I think we're done. I think we're done. With four funerals and a wedding. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. <laughs> so the fact that she's in this episode, it's it's like um, uh, when the actress who was in James Bond, who we said was dead but wasn't. Who then later died. Yes. Whose name is 